Let me tell you about Last Out Media. Last Out Media is a podcast studio located just over an hour from the New York area. It has professional equipment, engineers, and coaches that'll make your show sound amazing. In fact, that's where I'm recording from right now. So if you want to improve your podcast, visit lastoutmedia.com. Ladies and gentlemen, another week has gone by and we are here. Last Out Media, New York Groove, entering week seven of the NFL season. That's fun. We have a big pick coming up of a a, a potential lock of the year that involves Vince, that involves Taylor, that we will get into for certainty. But you you can't really... There's a lot of things that went on in the last week of of, uh, sports in New York specifically. And coming into this show, I I had a lot of problems. You know, you you try to plan for the show and you try to plan for how you want to approach the show and and what point you want to really drive home. And I struggled this week because there's just so much. You know, we could still ride the Daniel Jones sucks point, but we know he sucks, right? There's nothing really to argue there anymore. We can go with the Nets and Kyrie Irving, but listen, Kyrie's not showing up. He's not getting vaccinated and the Nets will be fine. We all know that. We can go by the Rangers playing really well and beating Montreal and, and beating Toronto in one of the greatest like overtime hockey games that we've seen with three on three. We can go. There's a million angles we could take, right? But the one that I and I was kind of getting used to getting somewhere with it. I wanted to yell at Aaron Boone. I wanted to get angry about something. And then I got to last night, and then the NBA season opened, and then I watched the Knicks game last night, and I had this irrational fear in my head that we're gonna get into this season and it's gonna start going. And the Knicks are going to go back to the same old Knicks. And the Knicks are not going to show up, and the crowd's going to be into it, and they're going to be ready, and the Knicks are not going to be the same. They're going to be back to the same old Knicks, and they're going to play terrible, and there's going to be also momentum, and they're going to lose by 20. So often in sports, especially basketball, we see big celebrations, we see big nights, we see crowds into it, opening night, and then the home team loses by 20. They just don't. They're not ready for the moment. And we saw that last year with this young Knicks team in the postseason. Crowd was at 100% capacity. Everyone's going crazy. And then they show up, and then they can't they, they can't live up to the moment at home. They actually played better on the road. We've saw this with Tampa Bay, the, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning. They raise their cup banner, they have the cup in the building, they get their rings, and then all of a sudden they lose five two opening night to a team that they're far better than. And then I watch this game, and I watch how the Knicks play, and we are rewarded with one of the most exciting opening basketball games of all time, of opening night. We don't really. You know, no one really associates basketball opening day with the same as like baseball opening day or football opening day. But we got one of the more exciting basketball games of all time. If you didn't see it, shame on you. Because that game last night, you had Ollie Frazier type punches being delivered back and forth, back and forth. You had Marcus Smart having one of his best games ever. You had the both teams really showing why they're what their strengths are, right? You have the great scorers in Boston and you have you have a not really a cohesive team in Boston. You have more of scorers that are scoring, but you and then with the Knicks. When it comes to the Knicks, when it comes to the way that Tom Thibodeau has coached this team, they play hard. They play really hard on defense, and they, they they're playing more of a solidified, um, like held in kind of game. They're playing more of a controlled game, and I was happy about that throughout the entire game, throughout the entire first three quarters. They go down, they come back, they play efficiently, their offense is working smooth, their defense doesn't get down no matter how many points it gives up. I'm feeling confident. And then we get to the fourth quarter. And you blow an 11-point lead with four, with four minutes to go. And your mind immediately goes to, oh, well, oh, oh, same old Knicks, same old Knicks. And then Marcus Smart hits a ridiculous shot at the end of regulation to send them to overtime. Double overtime, Knicks win, we all saw it. Here's the problem. 
we all praise Tom Thibodeau. We all love what Tom Thibodeau's done for this team, and we, 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 he, he gets a little bit of a pass now because he's the first coach to come in here and really have a winning culture set up. They won that game last night despite bad coaching. The Knicks won that game last night despite their coach not being ready for the moment. You could talk about all the players you want, how the Garden's going crazy and the young players are not ready for the moment. Their head coach wasn't ready for the moment last, last night. They won that game despite bad coaching last night. I understand this is a work in progress. It's a work in progress for the young players. It's a work in progress for the team. It's a work in progress for everything. It's also a work in progress for the coach. We hired this coach out of Chicago, out of Minnesota, and you believe that because of his past success, Tom Thibodeau would come in here and he wouldn't be anything you have to worry about. You don't have to worry about the coach developing. We forget, what has Tom Thibodeau really ever won? What has he ever really won in the NBA? The only year that he had really a lot of success and went to the Eastern Conference Finals, Derrick Rose had one of the all-time great point guard seasons and won an MVP. What has Tom Thibodeau ever won? Is Tom Thibodeau ready for this moment? And the answer is no. He proved it last night. He could become a better coach, and he definitely show, gives the Knicks a more of a feel than they've had in the past. But when you come into this game and you look at the moves that he made late in that game, the decisions that he made late in that game, the decisions the players in the court made, which directly, tra- directly re- reflects on him, he wasn't ready for that game last night. The Knicks weren't ready for that game last night. They're exciting, don't get me wrong, and they're going to be, this could be a 50-win team easily because they're, they're involved in every single game they play. Every good team they play, they're going to be right in it every single game. They, they're a hard-working team. They actually play defense, and acquiring Evan Fournier is going to be one of the best moves in the NBA offseason because the amount of shots that he hit last night, big shots that he hit, the moment wasn't too big for him last night, but the moment was too big for their coach. Let's go over a few examples of why this moment was too big for the coach. At the end of that game, the three-pointer that Marcus Smart hit, you're coming out of a timeout. In situations like that, that timeout should be all about that play coming in bounds, reminding players what they need to do, what's going on in this play, how to defend them. If you watch that play on the court, that team had no idea what they were doing. The Knicks came out onto the court and were completely lost. Coming out of a timeout, that's unacceptable. Coming out of a timeout where a coach is speaking to them and preparing them for one specific play, unacceptable. It was a three-point game. The Celtics were up three. You knew they were shooting a three-point shot. Explain to me why when the ball is inbounded to Tatum, he's double-teamed. He's at half court. Why is he being double-teamed? That makes no sense. Then, Kemba Walker is guarding the Celtic center under the basket. Leave him open. What does it matter if he's open? Because of the double team, Marcus Smart was wide open. Tatum finds Smart. Smart hits the buzzer beater. There is no reason why Kemba Walker should have been guarding the Celtic center under the basket. If that ball is passed inside, the Celtic center makes a layup, big deal. It's now a one-point game still. It doesn't matter. That, that, that is a play where the, the Knicks coach, where Tom Thibodeau, in the break, needs to be reminding those players. That's where basketball coaches make their money, right? You can have them defend all game. You can have a good offensive scheme. But let's be real. All these players have an immense amount of talent. They're going to score their 100 points. They just are. You put these guys on a court, they're going to figure it out at some point. Chemistry is going to gel, and they're going to figure it out. You get a coach out there, he makes his money in the last two minutes of a game. He makes his money coming out of timeouts. He makes his money preparing them for big moments like that, and they weren't prepared for that moment. That play can't happen. Kemba Walker, and now God bless Kemba Walker for doing that, though, because once that three was hit, it allowed the Knicks to cover in overtime, and I won my bet. So God bless Kemba Walker. He knew what the bigger cause was in that scenario, but he has to know at the three-point line, Marcus Smart, who's having a career game, needs to be covered in that spot. Can't get a shot off. on. You can't allow him to take a shot there without being touched. And you think, okay, 
bad coaching moment, but we're still going to overtime, right? We're still going to overtime, bad play, Knicks fell apart, but again, this is a game the last 20 years the Knicks lose. This is a game the last 20 years the Knicks find themselves up two in that moment, and that three-pointer wins the game for the Celtics. So you find a way to get yourself to overtime, right? And then at the end of the, at the, end of the first overtime, you had Jason Tatum, ISO, with uh, R.J. Barrett guarding him. R.J. Barrett is not a great defender yet. He definitely has the ability and the, and the scheme to be able to become a great defender, but he's not a great defender yet. You don't want, and that's, Jason Tatum wound up missing the shot and sending the game to double overtime, but the game is tied as an ISO situation. Why are you allowing RJ to guard Jason Tatum one-on-one right there? What with a foul to give? The Knicks had a foul to give in that spot, and again, they were coming out of a timeout. The ball is got, is, goes into Jason Tatum. There's three seconds left, and he's ISOed with RJ Barrett. Why are you not having, having RJ Barrett foul there? You have a foul to give. Coming out of a timeout, R.J. Barrett needs to know that. If he's going to be on Tatum, the coaching staff needs to tell R.J. Barrett, we have a foul to give. If he gets you ISO'd on the corner, foul him. Foul him immediately. Don't let, don't let him get a rhythm. Don't let him come off the dribble. Don't let him drive on you and get a shot off. Jason Tatum drove on him, got a shot off, and just happened to miss. But in those scenarios, Jason Tatum is making that shot more often than he's missing that shot. You got lucky that he missed that shot, but more often than not, he's making that shot. That can't happen in that scenario. Coming out of a timeout, again, a coaching staff needs to have a young player like R.J. Barrett aware that in that scenario, we have a foul to give. There's three seconds to go in the game. You need to foul him and not let him get in a rhythm. You can't see if he makes the shot or misses the shot, especially in an ISO situation like that where he's going to be able to get a shot off on you. Again, coming out of a timeout, these are things that the team needs to be... These are the things the coaching staff needs to have be prepared for. We uh, When he got the job, we were so dumbfounded and we were so excited that we finally have a coach who knows what he's doing. Like finally a coach that we don't have to worry about the coach developing because we just have to worry about the players now. You still have to worry about the coach developing and that game proved that last night. The moment in the garden was too big for him. Maybe it's the celebrities. Maybe it's everything going on in that building. Maybe it's the fact that the bright lights are on New York City. The garden has a bigger energy than any other building in, in the sport. That may be all true but he needs to be ready for that moment. And Thibodeau not being ready for that moment shows me personally that he's not the coach of the future for the Knicks. He's not the guy they're going to be winning at all with one day. Because, if you know, if you realize this, Thibodeau was a coach in the 90s, an assistant coach with the Knicks in the 90s. He lived through the Garden being that exciting moment. He lived through the Patrick Ewing years. He lived through the years where the Knicks were consistently a 50-win team going to the playoffs, going to the NBA Finals. How come now, 20 years later, he's still unfazed by that building? How come now, 20 years later, the crowd still gets to him? How come now, 20 years later, he still can't keep in his head in big moments like that and know to remind his young team that they need to be making plays like that? Remember, eventually, great basketball teams with great chemistry, they just know to make those plays in those moments. RJ just knows to foul to foul in that moment. They just know not to get Tatum in a one-on-one in that moment. Kemba just knows not to allow a gut not to cover a guy that's under the bit that's in, on the baseline and cover a guy in three-point range. Why? Because the coaching staff has drilled it into their heads for so long that it got to a point where they just knew. So when the when the moment got too big for the coach, the coach didn't look like a failure because the team was already prepared for it. Because for years and years past, the team has prepared for it. If you don't start preparing these guys for that now, it kills everything. And, the, and Thibodeau's a fine coach, but if you think that they're going to win with him at this point, if you think he's the guy of the future that's going to lead them to that promised land, you're wrong. He proved it last night. How come after 20 years, after 30 years, after seeing that building like that, he's, it's still too much for him? It's still over the top for him? I'll tell you what. If you watch that game and you listen to that game on ESPN, it wasn't, the moment was never too big for Jeff Van Gundy. 
Jeff Van Gundy was pointing out the mistakes that they made in the huddle every single chance he got. How do you not foul there? How do you not have a guy on the, on the outside covering smart? Who's the best shooter of the night? How do you have Tatum double team there? You had a foul to give in that point. How about the three to tie the three to tie it there? Why were you not fouling? There's there's many moments where, and that begins the whole argument, right? If you wanted to double team Tatum in that spot, maybe to get him to turn it over, which again makes no sense because you're in the lead. You're up by three. Bull is inbounded to Tatum. Why would you not foul in that spot? Again, you're coming out of a timeout. Why would you not foul and have Tatum shoot him a, a two shots guaranteed and not be able to tie the game? Instead, you let him get rid of the ball, let him get it to Smart. Smart makes the three and you're going to overtime. Again, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Thibodeau's a bad coach and Thibodeau hasn't done wonders for this franchise because they're a competitive franchise again and they're an exciting franchise again. But Leon Rose is the guy that is going to lead you to the promised land, not Tom Thibodeau. And it's pretty clear that it's not Tom Thibodeau. The roster is built very soundly, actually. It's actually a very well-built NBA roster. It's tough. It's defensive. You have players that want to play for this franchise that are inspiring players to want to be here, right? Julius Julius Randle speaking before that game of we want to play that do this for you guys for the fans. The Knicks fans are finally showing the rest of the NBA that when they're good, it's a, it's the best place to play in the NBA. But you can't have a coach that the moment gets too big for. And the Knicks have proven that. The Knicks proved last night that the moment was too big for Tom Thibodeau and he can get better at it. But I saw another basketball town in Chicago where they were good for the first time since Michael Jordan when he was coaching there, and they had a superstar, and they had a league MVP there for the first time since Michael Jordan, and the moment got too big for him there. And then he went to Minnesota, and no one cared about him, and no one realized. And now he goes to the Knicks, a team that he's loved his entire life, a team that got his career started, a place that he's from, and the moment is still too big for him. Tom Thibodeau can't effectively coach at the end of games in big moments. And with a young team, that's going to affect the future of them developing so much. Again, RJ's developing as a great shooter. You're having a lot of young... Emmanuel quickly is becoming a spark plug for this team. Julius Randle has found his game with this team. There's a lot of reasons why. This team's improved. This team is going to win games. But Tom Thibodeau's ceiling with this team is winning 50 games and being out in the second round. Because how do you win playoff games? Hard defense and great coaching at the end of games. Having your team prepared for big situations. How many NBA playoff games come down to a last possession? You can't screw up in those situations. And I'm sorry, as exciting as that guarding crowd was, as energetic as that was last night, that's only game one, baby. That's game one of 82. That has to be nothing for you. And the fact that that moment was too overwhelming for him, it's extremely concerning for me. doesn't work for me. Guys, I want to ask the two of you because you are Sixers fans and you've grown up watching the Sixers. How do you now view the Knicks? Like, is it, did you think the Knicks could have this much success and... Did you think the Garden was this much of a pertinent place to play or a difficult place to play? Because it's as, as as exciting as Philadelphia gets for basketball. I've been in the Wells Fargo Center when the six when the Sixers are good, and it never gets that loud, ever. It's never that tough of a place to play. I know you're looking at me with was uh, yeah. I, I am I'm shocked to hear that because the Sixers' home record is phenomenal. Even in the years where they had all the problems and were struggling and learning to become a real team, the, the home crowd's ridiculous. But Looking at New York and, and where everything's going and where are the Knicks, the thing is, the Knicks, Tom Thibodeau's a necessary evil for them. Because what he does is he doesn't give you the highest ceiling, but he raises your floor. You play playoff basketball every single night because your starters are playing a ton of minutes, you play hard defense, and that's how they like to live. 
which it gets you wins in the regular season. It makes you a playoff team, and that's all well and great. For the Knicks, you need that. Like, look at the reputation of the Knicks. Who have they been? What is exciting about that team? Why couldn't they draw these free agents when every year they're like, yeah, Giannis is going to come here. Kevin Durant's going to come here. They didn't go there. So you needed respectability to get players. Thibodeau gives you that, and then once the roster is in a better place and you've established yourself a bit, and if Julius Randle is a bona fide star, bad in the playoffs last year, so he's still got something to prove, but if you get that kind of thing together, then you graduate from Thibodeau, you get that real coach, and you go for is it. Is the so. goal not, at the end of the day, to become a championship-level team, not just a playoff-level team, not just a good, respectable team? Yeah. The goal is to become a championship-level team, and that's my problem with Thibodeau. He, his ceiling is 50 wins. His ceiling is 55 wins, great season, uh, an MVP on his team. That's his ceiling. He does not have the effectiveness and the awareness to be able to coach in those big moments at the end of games. And in the NBA, you can survive without being good at that. Because great players will get you out of those situations. A lot of times in Chicago, Derrick Rose will come in and a buzzer beater and, and Thibodeau looks great. And no one can complain about a move that he made. But you see these little decisions. Again, all of these moments last night, all of these reasons I just gave you at the end of the game, they were all coming out of timeouts. That's where it concerns me more. If these are plays on the fly, I can, and there were no timeouts, I can give the team a little bit more of a pass because in those scenarios, I sit there and I say to myself, okay, you weren't coming out of a timeout. It's game one of the season. They they haven't practiced a lot. They had just gotten through training camp. They haven't really gotten to situational practicing and film watching yet. The team's young. They just weren't ready. I I can live with that. The fact that they were coming out of a timeout and he's a veteran coach, he has to be prepared for that moment. He has to be ready for that moment. And he wasn't. Simple as that. He was not ready for that moment. The team was not prepared for those moments. Again, Leaving a covering a guy under the basket when you're up three, who cares about that guy? Cover the guy that's been hot, that's got 45 points, and it's, and it's open on the three point line. Didn't cover him. If you're gonna double team Tatum, Tatum there, which makes no sense, at least foul him to make him take two shots instead of three, where he can't tie the game in overtime. You have a foul to give. Why is RJ Barrett being ISOed with Jason Tatum on him? But these are plays coming out of, out of timeouts where Thibodeau needs to be, that, that, those are plays that Thibodeau needs to be prepared for. Those are plays that you, you you can't possibly not be that that moment can't get too big for you, and you can just tell that timeout, TV timeout, guarding crowds going crazy, music playing, Thibodeau is just completely out of his head and isn't aware and ready for the moment. And I got a guy like Jeff Van Gundy, who could very well be coaching in the NBA right now, who who called him out on all those plays, called out a buddy of his on all those plays, and knew immediately on all those plays. He's doing the wrong move right here. You have to be prepared for those plays. Calling out his buddy on those plays. That's what separates the great coaches in basketball from the mediocre coaches. The great coaches in basketball are ready for those situations. And the moment never gets too big for those guys. And the moment last night got too big for Tom Thibodeau. It just did. But I'm, I'm surprised that you don't recognize the guarding crowd being like that much of a formidable thing. It's it's not an... It's, that place is electric, especially last night. Like, that was a playoff atmosphere in game one. Well, yeah, I, I'm not saying that the Madison uh, Square Garden crowd isn't formidable. It hasn't been for a long time, and it is again. Like, there's there's no doubt but about it. That's what's crazy about back. that building is look how electric it got. Once they get back to competitiveness, look at how electric it gets. Well, yeah, it's a basketball town. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, Philly is a basketball town as well. It's, it's Eagles first, but it is a basketball town. So the Sixers are great. People come out. Knicks finally become just good like, they're not even great, and people are losing their minds because they do want to see this, and Thibodeau gives you that, but you're right. He's, he's not a guy that gets you over the top, and here's the thing. Is he going to get any better? 
There, there is no, no this reason is to believe. Ceiling. This is yeah, his ceiling. This is who he is. He's been in the league for however many years. The, the, head the problem coach. is his ceiling is is excellence for the, what the Knicks have been the last twenty years. So Knicks fans are accepting of it and loving of him because the, his ceiling is excellence for them. Yep. But when it comes to actually being a formidable team, actually going for a championship, he'll never get you there. Yeah. He'll never get you there. He's a starter kit. Like this is how you begin to build. Yeah, which is fine. He he is Kenny Atkinson. For the Nets. Yeah, exactly. Kenny Atkinson. Eventually, they'll get a superstar in here. And by, by, by the way, Knicks fans should be lucky and the Knicks should be lucky. Kyrie isn't a part of them. But there is not a sense. I know Kevin Durant's a basketball junkie. There is a million senses of me that are sitting there saying, boy, Kevin Durant must be really like looking at his hands when he's watching these games on ESPN and going, what did I do? I chose the Nets over, <laughs> over this amount of love. Could you imagine if he was playing in the Garden last night and he dropped like 45 last night? The amount of love that he'd get from the city. Now he's doing that every night in Barclays Center and no one cares. No one in New York cares. He has all the power. He doesn't care. I don't think so. I, I, he would have the what power. What do you mean? He would have the power with the Knicks too. He's got, like, LeBron's got the power in LA. He would have the power with with Dolan at head? Yes, of course, because Dolan wants to win at all costs. Dolan, if, if Dolan knew the power had to go to Durant to, to win, Dolan doesn't make on-court decisions. And that's the only power Durant needs is on-court decisions. Durant doesn't make, Dolan only makes decisions when it comes to money. When it comes to finances, he doesn't make on-court decisions why, of who's playing point guard. Why didn't he pick the Knicks then? Durant? Yes. Because he's afraid. He's afraid. He's a wimp. He's too afraid to have New York across his chest to be playing in Madison Square Garden because he's afraid of failure in that building. He's afraid of failing in that moment. He's afraid of failing with the spotlight on him. You fail in Brooklyn, no one cares. Look at it. Last year. He failed in Brooklyn last year. Doesn't win in the playoffs. And everyone either makes the excuse that his foot was on, his, if, if his foot's an inch back, they win that series. He gets excuses made for him. And everyone still at the end of that says, oh, he played 48 minutes and he dropped 45 points in that game. I mean, Durant played awesome. They didn't lose because of him. The excuse was built in. Whereas if he put up that performance last year in New York and he still lost, you would have said, great performance, but he's got to win there. It's a different breed. It's different It's different playing for the Yankees than playing for the Mets. Just is. Not well, the same thing. How they take it locally and whether or not that's the truth, though, is a different thing, right? Like Kevin Durant... It's not his fault. Nothing about that series last year is his does, fault. Do, Nothing. Does Durant ever care about how they take things publicly and what the truth actually is? Durant always looks at how things are taken publicly. Oh, no, and he he goes to war all the time on Twitter, yeah. so he definitely he was, cares he was about afraid, that. He was afraid of the reaction. There aren't. There's like four Nets fans out there. He gets like six tweets after a game of how he played, and four of them are from national people. They don't care about Brooklyn in New York. They care about the Knicks. He was afraid to wear the New York crest across his chest. He just was. If the results are the same, I mean, you're still living in New York City. What's the point for him? He's going to make just as much money. He still lives in New York. He still has the same chance to win a title. He got all because the guys that he wanted. Because he's a guy that cares about being loved. He's a guy that cares about being praised. And if he was a Nick putting up these numbers with the, with the excitement around this team, and you got to remember, too, when the Nets got him, they had to empty a lot of their roster. They had to empty a lot of those good players because he wanted Harden. Yeah. The Nets, the Knicks, ha- the Knicks would have, Har- Durant missed that first year. The Knicks would have still been able to draft quickly, still been able to have the, still been able to draft uh, Obi Toppin. They would have still had um, R.J. Barrett on this team. They like they would have still had this young core along with Durant and Kyrie. Even if Kyrie weren't playing here, they'd still have Derrick Rose. You'd think because Thibodeau would have brought him in. They would have survived the Kyrie absence a lot more than Nets are surviving it. The amount of praise that he would have got being a Nick as opposed to a Net, not even remotely comparable. 
Oh, well, there's no doubt about that. But also, Durant would go into that situation thinking he's going to play well. It, it's not like he's going to go into the Nets and go like, you know, I'm going to suck if I go to the Knicks. Uh, so I'm going to go to the Nets. Mm-hmm. Like He would believe that he would play well. He would get the love and all those things. It, it would come. I just don't think he wanted to deal with it. It's yeah, not worth no, it. No, he was afraid. He was afraid. He was a win. Yeah, totally disagree. Or he, didn't, or he didn't want to play with his best friend. Who's his best friend? Isn't Kyrie his best friend? Yeah, but he clearly wanted to play with him. That, that's what no, that's what I'm saying. Or I, that's what I meant. He wanted to play with his best friend. Yeah, but you could tell Kyrie, no, we're going to the Knicks instead. Kyrie would have lived. The, the whole thing is a mess in Brooklyn. Kyrie's not going to play for them. It's a mess. It is a mess. It's a mess. It's, it's a disaster. And but they could still come out of the East. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah they're, they still oh, probably they're will. They're still going to win 50-55 games. They are like they are. They're going to take a lot of games off. They're not going to care a lot. There's going to be a lot of bad beats this year for them, but th- they'll be fine once the playoffs show up. They just will. Kyrie, though, is... Oof. Yeah. Meow. Like, just wild. That guy's just all over the place. He's out of his head. We'll get to our NFL picks in a second. A little bit of a shorter episode this week because I have somewhere to be. But I want to remind you that New York Groove is brought to you by Galaxy Vinyl. It's located in Old Bridge, New Jersey, and Galaxy specializes in all automotive customization. And they're one of the leaders in the car detailing business. They offer many options like vinyl wrap, window tinting, caliber painting, and powder coating. And Galaxy is the place to go if you want your car looking top of the line. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to head over to 1225 U.S. Route 9 or you're going to give them a call. 732-527-4500. 732-527-4500. That's 732-527-4500. And they're going to make your car look out of this world. Let's hit the music, Taylor. And the music's by? Scott Johnson. Damn it! God, you, how do you still not know this? Was that on purpose? Scott Smith. No. It's something about a Smith or a no. Scott. There's an no. S. It's neither. It's, it's definitely it's an, an, S. S. There's an S. There's an S involved. There's an S involved. Sebastian Smith. <laughs> God Sam Spence. There Sam it is. Spence. Sam Spence. Someday. It's all right. I'm a little off. We'll get there. When it plays at your wedding, you'll know by then. I hope so. <laughs> should I have like an orchestral band playing this at my wedding or should I have like just the, the audio? Yeah. If you if you get the full band, which if you're going full band at a wedding and having all the horns and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. You got to grow up though. We're, not, we're, we're way beyond the full band uh, at a wedding thing. Enough. Really? Yeah. What do you full, mean? Way, way beyond Grow that. up. Grow up. With enough. full band. No, because the band can always screw up. The band can always make mistakes. They're not going to sound like the original song that you wanted to. No, enough. Get rid of the... We don't oh, need a, a, DJ we don't over a band need, is such a bad take. DJ is always over a band. Always. I'm having rock music play at my wedding, by the way. I'm not doing this pop crap and having people dance to rap music. No. We're doing full rock music. We're going to have a great wedding. I don't think you're getting married, sir. Yeah, what, 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 what kind of listen, rock... Okay. You're not getting married. Listen, what music, then, is in your head at the wedding day? You, oh. You're out on the floor. You're dancing your ass off. What's girls, playing? girls, girls. <laughs> crew. Oh, God. <laughs> Enter Sandman. You know, your wife would love that. Whiskey, in the, whiskey in the jar, Metallica. So it sounds more like an 80s Same old club. song and dance, Aerosmith. <laughs> Ragdoll. I have a million songs I can play in my head. There Machine Head by Bush. Which are all band <laughs> songs, by the way. Like, they're songs that bands play. They're not DJ music. No, I want the Or DJ songs that it, people so dance good. to. Yes. Yeah, they're not songs that people dance to. See, I have no problem with my, my wedding dance floor being a bunch of people that are headbanging. No problem with that. Just a big mosh pit. Just a big mosh. Let's mosh at my wedding. Why a not? A wedding mosh pit would be awesome. Why actually. not? I'll give you that. A wedding mosh pit. Like, <laughs> let's be different. I, the, the the only wedding take that I can give that I know everyone will agree with is if you don't have an open bar, you're a piece of garbage. 
Like, if you don't go open bar at a wedding, you're, you're a pe you don't deserve to get married. Yeah, if you can afford it and you're skimping out. No, I don't, that, even, I don't even care. How dare you? I don't care if you can afford it or not. If you can afford to get married, you can afford an open bar at your wedding. That is a necessity. If you're getting married and having a wedding and you're paying for a wedding, you're paying for an open bar. If you don't have an open bar, you're a piece of filth and you don't, you don't deserve to get married. That's the one thing people want. Actually, if I were if I were working in City Hall and I was the person that was in charge of giving out like wedding certificates, I would ask them specifically, is there an open bar at your wedding? If they say no, I would do everything in my power to shut up that license. <laughs> So they can't be legally married. As you should. It, I'm not. I'm not wrong. Like I'm not wrong here. No, the open bar consummates the marriage officially. I think it's it does. In, it's no, somewhere it does. in the Bible. I'm Free pretty sure. drinks. Uh, you don't think water into wine had something to do with that? Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew that alcohol was important, and he knew that alcohol at a wedding was important, and that's why he instituted the open bar. It's a necessity. Yeah. And if this music, I don't want this music just played at my wedding. I want this music played like while walking down the aisle. Like I want this music. I want. I want in, instead of. Here comes the bride. I want dun, 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 dun. <laughs> that's the music that I want walking down the aisle. I, I don't think that's that's inappropriate. No. I'll tell you what. If in the slight possibility that I have a girlfriend in the coming months, I, I will have her on New York Groove and try to convince her. If things are going well, maybe we'll have a live breakup on the air. I'll try to convince her to have this music played at the, at the wedding. And she'll either be creeped out that I'm mentioning a wedding the yeah. same thing as their relationship, <laughs> yes. or she'll have so much distaste from NFL music being played at her wedding that she's like, I can't do this. Yeah, if you ruin a relationship, just make content out of it. Yeah, yeah. that's the key. Might as well. Why not, right? Yeah. I mean, I, everything, we're in a content take-driven society. Uh, well, if I'm going to be in a relationship, I might as well get some takes out of it. That should be like the dating game, is you just demand takes. And if you like the takes, you go on a date. And if you don't like the takes, they're out. Speaking of which, Falcons. Two and a half point favorites. Here's the thing we know about the Falcons over the Dolphins. We know the Falcons can score points, and we know Tua Tagovailoa is now one of the most disgruntled quarterbacks in the entire league because Deshaun Watson is likely going to be traded to Miami, and they're already giving up on him. The Falcons can score points, and we were proven last week by that against the Jaguars' defense. The Dolphins can't score points. They have no offensive fluidity, and they can't they can't do anything on offense. The Falcons have a really bad defense, but is it better than the Jaguars' defense? The Jaguars' defense is awful, and the Dolphins couldn't get anything going against them. You really think that the Falcons aren't going to cover this game by two and a half points? I'm all over it. Falcons minus two and a half against the Dolphins. Vince? Yeah, so I'm not touching that game. I hate all those teams, and I, it just makes me sad. We'll see what happens with Miami, by the way, once they trade for Deshaun Watson. Then it's a different conversation. But for now, the thing that I'm looking at, Seattle, the Geno Smith experience in Seattle has been something to see. The man has figured it out. And he's a competent backup quarterback. And for right now to be at home in Seattle, plus five and a half versus the Saints, I'm good with that bet. So Seattle plus five and a half, that's where I'm taking first. Interesting pick. I, I don't know if I love Geno Smith in that spot. Taylor? Uh, I'm with Vince. It's at four and a half now. By oh, the way. okay. But uh, yeah, regardless, I think Geno is a little bit better than we give him credit for. And yeah, I trust that home He crowd. certainly kept him in that game last week at, the, at Pittsburgh. And yeah. That, that game proved to me that Pittsburgh is just... Oh, they're god awful yeah, that, in that, <laughs> that first half was definitely like, oh, I need to get the rest off of me. Yeah. Because they couldn't he get He figured out going. that come the third quarter. Uh, my next game, uh, Bengals and the Ravens. This is a divisional game, people. This is a divisional game where we see teams play closer, and the, the Bengals have proven to us that they're legit. They're back. They're, 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 they're an actual team. It took a couple weeks of speculation to really get whether Joe Burrow was actually legit or this was a team just playing hot with a bad schedule to start. But no. The Ravens tend to always play down to their opponents, and it's a divisional football game. Bengals are getting six and a half points right right here. I love the Bengals plus six and a half against the Ravens in this spot. Vince? 
Yeah, I do too. I, that is one of the bets I had to take. And it's fun because they've got that, like, when you had Carson Palmer and Chad Ochocinco and they had this good connection and everything was rolling solid offensive team, like, it's the beginnings of that. The Jamar Chase-Joe Burrow connection is ridiculous. They have, they have Jets 2010 vibes. They, 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 they really do. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark Sanchez with... Uh, Santonio Holmes, yeah. that young connection, a, a decent running game, like a hard-nosed team that's like just winning games that you don't even... Every single week that goes by, you don't know how they keep winning, but they keep winning. Very Jets 2009 vibes. Taylor? Uh, I love the Bengals, too. Uh, Jamar Chase has just been great this year. And yeah, the Bengals do always play down to whoever they're playing. It's weird because <laughs> Lamar can be great or it's just like, what what is he doing out there? Yeah, yeah. especially in a divisional game. Yeah, I'll take the Bengals. Yeah, and this is the key to to, to football betting. In division, you always it's got, always close. It's always close. Yeah. These teams always keep games close. Speaking of a great bet that, that 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 I'm all over that that I always hesitate when it's a big spread, but this is one that just seems too obvious to me. Texans. No, I, it, you know, Rams. Minus 15 versus the Lions. The Lions have been the trendy underdog pick all year. We're ready. We're waiting for them to win a game. We're waiting for them to show up. I'll say this. The head coach calling out Jared Goff last week after Goff has been the only bright spot for that team. Bad. What are you doing? And with a guy like Jared Goff, who has always been an emotional guy who really is like never ready for... The guy gives up really easily. That is a straight sign for Jared Goff to say, you know what? Screw it. I don't care. He's going to give up on Detroit real quick, especially after comments like that when he's been the only guy performing so far. I get what he's doing there, trying to get a little bit out of Goff, but Goff's not that guy. And you got to know that as a head coach. 15 points. The Rams just beat the living hell out of the Giants last week. And the Rams are on this path where Stafford's out there to throw a ton of yards and they want to go into the postseason showing everyone we are the top team in the West, in, in the West right here. Rams minus 15. I'm all over it. This has 30-point game written all over it. Yeah, it, it does have that feel. And it's funny because you initially think like, oh, well, Goff, he's got this revenge element into this game. But Stafford does too, right? Like, they both have axes to grind here. So it all cancels each other out. The Rams are a way better team. Way better. And so, yeah, minus 15. It's like, it's shocking to see spreads like that. Houston is 17 and a half, which is crazy. But you, you got to feel pretty good going with the Rams. No yeah. doubt. Taylor? Uh, the aforementioned Houston Texans. Uh, it's at 17 and a half. I've been, I don't like it either, but this board is tough. Um, That's the suicide lock of the week is the Cardinals. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't even, don't even question it. They're not winning. The Texans are not winning that football game. No. It, it's They're just not. three scores is way too much. I don't care it's who you are. I don't. It's it, a lot, but they suck. It's not about necessarily betting the three scores. We're not telling you to go in either direction. Yeah, like we're not we're not telling you to take the Cardinals. We're not telling like we're not saying if you don't take the Texans, you have to take the Cardinals. No one's saying that, but to willingly take the Texans, uh, the the back ugh. the backdoor cover potential is so huge. Who's gonna here. score on the back? In order to get a backdoor, someone's gonna score. No, you just let up on defense in the fourth quarter. Uh, D- Davis Mills, even a let up defense is not good enough for Davis Mills. My high school football team could beat Davis Mills. Uh, if, if it's that much points, I'm taking them. Yeah, more like care. run of the mills. Anyway. I'm on the Saints minus four and a half against the Seahawks. I'm going the other way Ooh. from Vince. Uh, listen, the Saints are flip-flopping every week, and this could be one of those picks where we, after the first quarter, I go, what the hell was I thinking? But it could also be one of those picks after the first quarter where I'm like, yeah, that's right. I don't believe in Geno Smith. I saw enough of him in green. I don't think Geno Smith's good. I don't think Geno Smith has any, any type of moxie to be able to win games. And here's the thing. Once Geno Smith gets down, he gets down and doesn't come back. He's not back in that game. Four and a half is enough for me to believe that 
the Saints are just going to be able to cover and roll over the Seahawks in this game. The Seahawks are getting ready to die this season. So, Vince, what, what's your what's your take on this? All right, so for me, I, I mean, I talked about Seattle a little bit, so I, I'm I'm sticking with my four and a half. I'm not moving on that. But what, what, another one that I want to get into here, uh, the Colts plus four at San Francisco. Uh, 49ers, man. That team is not who I thought they were. They're, they just don't have that same kind of pop. Defensively, they're not as great as they used to be. I think Garoppolo is going to be starting for them this week because Lance has been hurt. So it, it's just a weird space for them right now. And the Colts are figuring things out. Wentz has looked good the last couple of weeks. So for them to start to get on the same page to have San Francisco right now with four points, I'm taking that. Interesting. Taylor? Uh, tonight. I'm taking the Denver, Bron- oh, Denver this, Broncos, this is, too. This is a disturbing game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't... This game is just, oh, God. I mean, this is all types of gross. Yeah, like I said, the board is not great this week. But... It's horrible. And the, I want to say this, too. The 4 o'clock slate is so disturbing. Yeah. Look at the games now. I mean, that, I'm looking if, at it. If, I am not a proponent of this. I think you're a fraud if you do this every week. But there are guys who do this and succumb to it. Uh, the guys who are out pumpkin picking with their girlfriends or apple picking during this time of year on a football Sunday, you're a fraud. You're not a real football fan. This if is there's the week a week to, to do, do it, it. <laughs> this is the week to do it. This is the week to make the girl happy, to to get her in debt to you for a little bit. This is the week to do it because that 4 o'clock slate is vomit worthy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the who knows what the hell the uh, Cleveland offense is going to look like tonight. And I'd much rather deal with the Denver defense and just see the mess that's going to be made tonight. Um, yeah, it's going to be a terrible game, but I'll take the Broncos. There you go. I will say this for my last pick. So I've proven this many weeks to you, and it works out every single time I give you one of these lines. When a line makes no sense, go the other way. It's what Vegas is doing. The Eagles being three-point underdogs in Las Vegas. You know, after you're in a long relationship and you get with a new girl and it's a rebound, you feel better about yourself for about a week. You don't think about the old girl. You're thinking about the new girl. And then the new girl just wanted you for your money or for whatever you could provide, leaves you, and then you realize, oh crap, what was I doing? It was the old girl that really meant a lot to me. That's what's going on with the John Gruden situation. Denver was their rebound. Denver was the Raiders' rebound. It was the it was a way for the Raiders to come in, beat the crap out of someone, and get the hell out. But now reality starts to hit. Now they don't have that, that extra motivation to play under. Now they don't have to prove to anyone that we're a real team. They proved it last week. This is the one that I want down the aisle. This is the one that I want down the aisle. This when, she, when she says, Miss whatever, do you take Brian to be whatever? I want this playing in the background. <laughs> that, that beautiful I hope that's romantic verbatim. phrase. Yeah. <laughs> I want, uh, through sickness, health, and football Sundays, I want this playing. <laughs> it's a great jam. The yeah. rambling man from Grambling. The line makes no sense. The Raiders should be five and a half point favorites in this game. Six point favorites in this game. Vegas is baiting every Barney at the bar to bet the Eagles and to bait the bet the Raiders in this game. And that's why the lean here is 100% all over the Eagles as three-point underdogs. Get it now before it goes to two and a half. Vince? All right, so my last one is, it's a little risky here, but you know what? When I got the Titans plus 180 at home on the money line versus Kansas City, I'm willing to take that leap right now. Kansas City's been having some struggles. You see what Tennessee's doing right now. They've figured things out after a rough start. And my God, Derrick Henry is playing at a level that I don't think I've ever seen before. Like, he's the juggernaut right now. So to watch him playing like this against Kansas City, which has one of the worst defenses you've ever seen, being able to grind out the game, Kansas City, the formula is against them right now until they break that trend. 
I'm going with Tennessee plus 180 again at home. Take the money line. Interesting. I I just I hate Tennessee. I, I my entire life I've just hated that team. The Titans. They, they didn't. They win every game they're supposed to lose, and they lose every game they're supposed to win. It's the mantra of Tennessee for his uh, over history. So you lost Monday night. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm with you on uh, the Eagles for the last pick. Um, every time the Eagles are an underdog, they cover this season. doesn't matter how bad they look on offense, which hasn't been great at all. But, yeah, uh, this is definitely the Raiders come back down to earth after killing Denver last 100%. Week. I can't wait to be at that stadium, by the way. Every time I see it on television, I cannot wait to get to that to get to a Raider game. I'm going to Raiders-Broncos late December this year. Very excited for that. That'll do it for whatever edition this is of New York Groove. I've lost track already. I love this music so much. I, just, I, I can't get over it. Like the, it's just it's the music of happiness. It's the sound of happiness. It certainly is. This does what Motley Crue does for me. On that note, make sure you always rate, subscribe, download, whatever. On Halloween, you can hear me on WFAN from 4 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. It'll be a spooky show because I'll be on the air somehow. On the way out, some food for thought, Vince. Did you know the man who voiced Mickey Mouse was married to the woman who voiced Minnie Mouse? <laughs> How adorable is that? That's so cute. And that'll do it for another edition of New York Roof. You've been listening to New York Groove with Brian McKeon. This show was produced by Last Out Media. Visit lastoutmedia.com.